Welcome to the ESPR podcast Inside Conflict with Moritz Ehrmann. So welcome back to our discussion uh, on South Sudan, Uganda and conflict dynamics inside these two countries and in the border regions. I am again, like last time, joined by uh, Mrs. Rose uh, Othieno, the executive director and co-founder of SECOR. Uh, an, an organization uh, working on conflict resolution in Kampala, Uganda. Um, also here again uh, is uh, uh, Dr. Jan Pospisil, a member of the advisory board of the Austrian Center for Peace, also a former, former uh, research director and currently uh, associate prof professor at Coventry University in the United Kingdom. It's also my pleasure now Uh, to be connected with uh, the Edmond uh, Yakani, who is the executive director and co-founder of SEPO, the Community Empowerment uh, for, for Peace organization based in the capital of South Sudan, uh, Juba. He is really one of the most prominent voices uh, in the country when it comes to defending, uh, promoting human rights, democracy uh, and justice. He is also known uh, to publicly advocate for the inclusion of civil society in, in peace talks and does so very, very successfully. Uh, and in 2017, Edmund was presented as Human Rights Defender of the Year by the Swedish human rights organization, Civil Rights Defenders. So welcome to this discussion, Edmund. Um, in our last discussion, we had the chance to hear a little bit about the work uh, that everyone is doing with their respective uh, organizations in the region. Uh, so we'll come back to, to Edmond to, uh, to also uh, let him explain a bit about uh, the work of his organization, SEPO. Uh, last time we also talked about uh, historic perspectives when it comes to uh, conflict dynamics inside South Sudan, inside Uganda. Uh, but also in the border uh, regions. So now, uh, in this discussion, I would suggest that we focus uh, on the present and perhaps the future. So looking into the conflict uh, dynamics uh, in Uganda, um, South Sudan, and the border region. And then try to look uh, a little bit into the future, also into uh, perspectives uh, of how uh, strong dynamics like climate change would affect uh, these conflict dynamics and see also if there is approaches to uh, on how to how to deal with this uh, imminent uh, threat to to stability in in the region so um let me get uh, back to you uh, edmund in the in the beginning so let us hear a little bit about uh, your organization, uh, SEPO. So, uh, for example, what is the founding context in, uh, in, in Sudan back in the days? Um, why uh, was community empowerment uh, for peace so important? Um, and is it uh, now that your organization moved from Sudan to South Sudan after independence, um, how has your work uh, changed? Uh, uh, throughout this period and throughout uh, these years? And what is your main uh, objective uh, today for your organization? Let's hear from you, Edmund. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, my name is uh, Edmund Yakani. 
I'm the executive director of uh, Community Empowerment for Progress Organization. Maybe a bit of correction is that instead of being peace, is a community empowerment for progress organization. CEPO. CEPO, in origin, it is a university students-driven civil society organization. We founded it in, in Sudan by then when we were students in Khartoum University in 2000. And we found it on the basis of protecting the rights of internal displaced persons by then in Sudan, which are mainly from South Sudan, from Luba Mountains, from Blue Nile, from Darfur, because by then we have huge Sudanese displaced population due to the armed conflict that are happening across Sudan. Mainly South Sudan is waging a war under the South Sudan People Liberation Army, the SPLA. And we have by then SPLA extended their influence to Blue Nile, to Southern Kordofan, and we have emerging armed violence in Darfur. So there's a huge displaced persons of Sudanese by then. And the motivation was that when we decided to focus on protection and promotion of rights of internal displaced persons, because when we are students in the university, we discovered that United Nations have established what is called United Nations Guideline for Protection of Internal Displaced Persons' Rights. And we come to realize the person who is behind the writing of United Nations displace, uh, Displacement, or what do you call United Nations Guidelines for Protection of Internal Displaced Persons document, we discover was a Sudanese who is now a South Sudanese. He is called Francis Deng. And by that time, Francis Deng was working as UN Special Representative on Prevention of Genocide. So Francis Deng being behind the writing of the United Nations Internal Persons Displaced Rights Protection and being a special representative of UN Secretary General on Prevention of Genocide motivates us as a Sudanese by then, as a university students, to start challenging the political leadership in Sudan. Sudanese is behind the protection of internal displaced persons' rights, at the same time also is in charge of prevention of genocide. Because by then we see the violence happening in South Sudan is causing displacement and genocide. The violence happening in Blue Nile, Southern Kordofan, and therefore all of them are causing displacement and genocide. So that's the motivation. In 2000, we found SEPO and we registered as a university-driven organization, and we engage in disseminating the United Nations guidelines on internal displaced persons' rights, and also we engage on really documenting incidents of that can describe something called genocide or crime against humanity. So that's how SEPO was found. And of course, that is in 2000. So between 2000 and 2005, there were negotiations, peace talks between the fighting forces of by then government of Sudan under President Bashir and SPLA under Dr. John Garang. So they started the process, of course, is a, is a long process that started a long time ago since uh, mid-90s. Then in 2005, a peace agreement was signed between by and then the government of Sudan led by President Bashir and SPL led by Dr. John Garang and the agreement was called Comprehensive Agreement, what do you call the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, so signed between the SPLA and the government of Sudan. And in that agreement, there are provision for self-determination of South Sudanese from the rest of Sudan, or what do you call mm -hmm. the right of self-determination. So it happened in 2005. 11 South Sudan got independence from the rest of South of, from the rest of Sudan. So we move as a separate to South Sudan to become a South Sudan chapter. Mm -hmm. And we left our Sudanese colleagues to have separate Sudan chapter. 
So we are now independent mm -hmm. in South Sudan after 2011, after our independence from the rest of Sudan. And our mandate a bit changed from being a human rights and rule of law focused organization from 2000 and from 2000 to 2011, we've become more of also governance and development organization. So our objective have to focus at three aspects as per now I'm speaking. We are much more focusing on promotion and protection of human rights and rule of law. And we're also focusing on matters of governance and conflict resolution. Then we're focusing on matters of development. So these are three objectives that now we are working. How is the situation in South Sudan that we're working in? In terms of civic space, based on our experience for the, for, the, for the last 22 years, right from 2000 from Sudan until South Sudan, the civic space keep on shrinking. I would rightly say the independence of South Sudan from Sudan have not changed the civic space in South Sudan. Sometimes we do joke as South Sudanese that we decided to have two countries with one system. So, so like the system in Juba as an independent country, under the Republic of South Sudan and the system in Khartoum under the Republic of Sudan, in terms of civic and political space, almost the system is one. So we used to joke that we managed to have two countries with one system. So the civic mm -hmm. space is shrinking. So in terms of conflict dynamics, we have a long outstanding conflict dynamics that it is rooted to history right from Sudan until our independence. So we have a common political and public governance issue that were not resolved through the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, which was signed in 2005. Right. And it's a historical problem of public governance since we obtained our independence from the British, from the colonials, from, and we know we have two generations of a colonial system. We have uh, Egyptian, Anglo-Egyptian, then we have the British. So since the time of independence, the way how we obtained our independence in 1956 from the British, it have what you call a carryover uh, or what you call problem that we have adapted from the colonial. And those problems were not resolved. And we are fighting around it since 1956. And I will tell you that in mm. history, we start fighting among ourselves by then as a Sudanese, one year before the independence from the British. Since 1955, we start waging a civil war in Torit in South Sudan, in a, what you call Torit mutiny against the system of Khartoum. So the fighting of 1983, which was led by Dr. John Garang, was a follow-up of the 1955, which was not resolved when we're obtaining independence from the British by the by then political elites of Sudan. So the problem is that public governance is really problematic in, in, in the history mm -hmm. of uh, South Sudan, which we carried from the Sudan history. And there's a problem that is really shaping conflict, political conflict in our region or in our country, South Sudan and Sudan, is what is exactly meant by this particular Praises. What is meant by state? What is meant by country? What is meant by nation? So the distinction between state, nation, and country is a bit problematic in, in our context. And we've been fighting over, we're struggling over the definition of this. What does it mean? What do we mean by state and what do we mean by nation? And remember, we are a country that exists with ethnic establishment. And some of these ethnic establishment, you can call them as a separate nations in the absence of the states. So that element of ethnic competition over power of the state is really one of the historical problems that we continue. And we couldn't resolve that through whether we call constitutional governance or constitutional making process. It remained as a challenge, as a political challenge for peace and stability in the growth of the state in the Republic of South Sudan. And the same, as I said, also in Sudan is the same thing. 
that we're facing it. So as an organization, we start looking into this particular equation. We're engaging ourselves in it. And as I'm speaking with you, Panao, when we obtain our independence in 2011, this particular question came immediately in front of our political elites. Will they treat South Sudan as a nation or as a state? And will they take into account the element of ethnicity in terms of diversity? How can we use ethnic diversity for shaping the processes of building a state or a nation? So the leadership in Juba failed because they adapted the Sudan system by then that Sudan adapted from the colonial system when we got our independence in 1956. So the same mistake that Sudanese political elites did when they obtained independence from the British in 1956 mm -hmm. was done by our South Sudanese political elites in obtaining independence from the rest of Sudan in 2011. So we mm -hmm. carry on the same political challenges. And that's why in 2013, we couldn't sustain peace and stability among ourselves as South Sudanese. Mm -hmm. We end up fighting each other, which a civil war break out in mid-December between uh, first vice president, the current first vice president, Dr. Riyak Mashar, and President Salva. And uh, if you see the rationale or the equation or the trigger of their violence, is actually the question of how do we shape the state of South Sudan and taking into account ethnic diversity or how do we shape the process of building the nation of South Sudan and taking into account ethnic diversity. So that is a problem because we start experiencing a theory which was used in Sudan in shaping the governance system in Sudan after Sudan obtained independence from the British. So we, we borrowed the same virus. The virus that I'd like to share with you here is there's a concept that whenever an independence is obtained or liberation movement obtain independence from the forces they fight, there's this concept where political elites like to, one, they like to politicize and militarize ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So this concept of politicizing and militarizing ethnicity, it grow, it bring up a different theories of public governance. Because if you militarize and you politicize ethnicity, the next step is that whether you like or don't like it, you are going to politicize military and you're going to militarize politics. Mm -hmm. So you cannot distinguish between the general, the commander in chief and the president, because the president at the same time is a politician, at the same time, is a military leader. And the ethnic groups that take dominance in shaping state institution in the concept of politics and security, you come to realize that they become the same people. One can be a minister at the same time as a general, or one can be mm -hmm. a parliamentarian in the parliament at the same time as a commander in the barracks. So once he failed to pursue his objective or his particular personal or group interest in the parliament, they will use the barracks as an instrument to pursue their, their, their interests. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the political issues that is really challenging the process of state building mm -hmm. and nation building in the Republic of okay. South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And because of this, and because of this, we have reached the level of building resistance for democratic transformation. And one of the problems that is merged as a resistance for democratic transformation in terms of public institutional uh, management or administration we start turning institution to become ethnic dominated. Mm -hmm. So you come to realize that a particular public institution will be dominated by a particular ethnic group where the peace comes from. So this takes us to start building political culture of what you call institutional racism. So we start building institutional racism. Yes, in our context, maybe the word racism may not sound better, but you can even use the word institutional ethnic discrimination. Mm -hmm. So a particular ethnic group start taking charge of a particular institution to discriminate other ethnic groups not to benefit from the mandate of this particular institution. Mm -hmm. So this is the context of political 
set up political contests we're in. And that's why you can hear several civil wars that people are fighting around. Mm -hmm. Simply that ethnic groups are competing over control of power that in return make them to control resources and political decisions in the country. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Wow, thanks Edmund for what a comprehensive account uh, starting from the, the history of, of your organization starting in uh, back in 2000 in, in Sudan, then moving over to, to South Sudan, continuing your work, changing your work in a context that changed, in a context of independence. And then this whole account of uh, how conflict dynamics basically uh, perpetuated throughout the, the many years since uh, independence from, from the British, since uh, South Sudanese independence um, and continued having this, uh, what you call uh, racial uh, or uh, ethnic uh, discrimination uh, uh, enshrined into the political system. Um, yes, of course, that gives for quite a lot of room for, for different uh, conflict dynamics and, uh, and problems. Um, so uh, maybe uh, turning over to, uh, to to you, Rose, uh, and a bit also from the from the Ugandan perspective. So Edmund, I think, gave a very good account of uh, dynamics that I think must be true uh, in many parts uh, of your region. Um, what's there to add in terms of conflict dynamics today? Uh, and also, a very important question: in in your opinion, who is the most who is the most, so which which group of the population is the most uh, affected by by conflict dynamics? Thank you very much, Maurice, uh, for this question. Uh, not an easy question because uh, it may sound easy to narrate, but uh, why it's not easy is that uh, it looks like the solutions keep eluding us. I mean, Edmund talking of uh, history of way back 1955, 56, 20, 2005, 11. Uh, Uganda got uh, her independence in 1962. And uh, I mean, when Edmund is talking, uh, I see a lot of similarities, maybe because of uh, the colonialists that were in the region. A lot of similarities where the, the independent governments uh, tend take over from what the colonialists had. But uh, as it usually is said, that a, a new broom sweeps best, although it does not know all the corners. <laughs> because normally when we get a new change, there's a lot of excitement and there is all the zeal to, to perform well, keep everyone happy, really try to do the best genuinely. But I don't know what happens is that over a period of time, you see a lot of changes coming and then the dynamics are also changing. And uh, what we also see in the case of Uganda is this, I like the, the way Edmund put it, the institutionalization of ethnicity or militarization of politics or politicization of, uh, of the military. It's all entwined. We have uh, a military leader. We have very many other military leaders. But unfortunately, in the currently now, in many of the state institutions, you have leadership uh, from personnel who are from the military. We are not saying they may not be good leaders. A lot of these are uh, well-learned people, graduates, and whatever. But 
we 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 knew the military to have a, a definite area to to deal with. For example, we have the ministry. Many people call it interior. We call it internal affairs. The minister is a retired colonel. The the deputy is a military. The permanent secretary. I don't know what the equivalent in other countries is, but the highest ranking um, uh, public servant in the ministry, we call them permanent secretaries, mm-hmm. is also military. Mm-hmm. And then there are so many sectors of that nature. When it comes to like uh, economic uh, uh, strategies of wealth creation, agricultural programs, we've always had these headed by the military. Not that they are not good people, but in most cases, they may not be uh, trained enough. And they, it's not their field. And this is a country where we have um, many ministers and in many of the ministries, if not all, they have deputies or state ministers, mm-hmm. some up to three. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, the permanent secretaries, you have the technical people, the commissioners, but still you have a lot of powers uh, being uh, like left to the uh, to the president. A lot of cases are taken to be resolved by the president. So we also have... I think a governance issue where sometimes I think uh, the leaders don't seem to to actually know where their their level of authority should be, and this has created uh, a lot of conflicts. I mean, disgruntlements with increasing civic space, much as uh, I mean, the well, the, as CSOs, we work with government, uh, involve them in the in the work we do, but to a certain extent, the civic space. Uh, is limited by the way that the government uh, really puts stringent guidelines for CSOs. Uh, you have uh, financial uh, intelligence, you have data, a lot of uh, you know things that you have to do almost on an annual basis. You are making several returns to different institutions. So sometimes the NGOs are actually, uh, CSOs, are busy running up and down, fulfilling these uh, statutory hmm. or Mm-hmm. So these regulatory cases are not really performing. But at the same time, we are trying to do what we can. But uh, generally, the, the conflict dynamics have uh, changed, especially taking into account the impacts uh, that have come with the, with the COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uganda had a, a, a lockdown, almost, <laughs> I would say total, especially in the education sector. There was a whole, lock, a whole two years of no education. Other sectors well there are a bit of restrictions the opening and but to a certain extent the, the impact is still being felt and yet mm-hmm. there are so many other factors that some of which I think you are already getting into the environment and climate. Mm-hmm. So that all that has now led to other dynamics. And of recent we have been uh, witnessing a lot of insecurity issues. We've been having attacks we don't know who is carrying these out, attacks on uh, police uh, stations or posts, even military stations, or attacks on uh, private guards. We have lots of private uh, security guards companies in the country guarding different institutions, installments. We've had attacks where uh, the guards or the officers have been killed mm-hmm. and the, the arms taken. So we actually don't know what this trend is now uh, mm-hmm. bringing. Yeah, yeah, it's current. I think even yesterday there was one on a, a private card. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course, the economy with the, like, as I said, the economy kind of slowed down during the, the, 
the pandemic. Yeah, of course, like everywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, yeah. of course, is a challenge also for us, I guess, everywhere. Um, and then I think you, you asked uh, the other following question of who is most uh, mm -hmm, uh, affected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Of course, uh, I would first say generally, there are the they are usually vulnerable groups of the say the the less the less well off, so to say, socially mm -hmm. and economically. Those ones get very easily impacted on. For example, during the the lockdown period, when uh, markets were not uh, operating normally, uh, transportation was limited. You know, and there are these people who live on a daily basis from, you know, doing something petty to earn a living. It was very hard, mm -hmm. much as the government even came up to say, OK, we shall distribute food. And of course, with the the, the restrictions in movement, vehicles were few. Mm -hmm. Also, that didn't go fairly and not all the, the those who deserved it had it. So the vulnerable people like the poor, the not so, you know, like the the. I'm trying to use the, the term people with disabilities. They say differently abled. Yeah, those those who are maybe blind, deaf, or lame. You know, mm -hmm. the difficulty mm -hmm. moving, hearing, those ones are always most affected. And generally, the women, they, like I already said, the ordinary, more of the less the less economically privileged, those women and the, and the youth are most affected mm -hmm. because they are the, the, usually the least to be reached. You no, know, they are the least uh, to have their voices heard, mm -hmm. and that has been the same even on the changes of, of the climate, that impacts on the ordinary women and children, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that that continues much as the fight is going on, but there's very little that can be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, very gloomy perspectives, of course. Mm -hmm. um, Jan, let me quickly uh, let me turn to you with a quick question. Uh, Perhaps touching upon the the regional dynamic uh, of conflict dynamics in uh, Uganda, South Sudan, and 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 beyond, uh, what would come to your mind uh, regarding the influence of of, of other countries, uh, regional countries, maybe also thinking beyond the the immediate region? Um, what would come to your mind regarding such a question? Well, I think. Uh... Actually, it's a very interesting question because South Sudan has a significant role to play in regional dynamics that is probably going beyond where you would the country rate uh, as, as being like a, a nominally weaker, fragile state. But the, just like when I when I left um, last Saturday, there was uh, the new Kenyan president Ruto on a, on a state visit, which tells you something. One of the first visits of a Kenyan president go now go, goes now to South Sudan. Mm -hmm. They have an interesting role to play when it goes to the conflicts between Egypt and Ethiopia over the dam, between Sudan and Ethiopia over borders and, and, mm -hmm. and, and regional power dynamics. Um, South Sudan is is interestingly on the one hand influenced by these regional dynamics. Uganda always treated South Sudan in a way, at least parts of South Sudan, as a bit of their backyard, especially during the first phase of the civil war from 2013. There's, of course, lots of South Sudanese in the neighboring countries, in, in basically all of them. Um, there's also lots of 
refugees from neighboring countries in South Sudan, which must not be forgotten. So in a way, it's an interesting case of this this country, which is actually like in, 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 in geographical terms, huge, sitting in the middle of all these conflicts and, and is mediating quite a lot mm. uh, uh, as an active mediator, which you also would not necessarily think of a country being at war since basically 50, since 50 years, for 50 years wow. now. Yeah, very interesting. That's that's a perspective that that very often you wouldn't think about, uh, but that is indeed very relevant uh, in in this regional context. Um, you started touching upon uh, issues of mediation, and uh, that of course lead us to questions uh, on on conflict resolution. Um, I would, however, suggest that uh, in uh, considering the time, we would uh, postpone such a discussion uh, to a next episode on thinking about what could be solutions, um, what can uh, us people who work uh, on finding peaceful solutions in such complicated uh, conflict dynamics uh, contribute uh, to such a situation. Um, yeah, so I would be looking forward to such a, such a next discussion. And thank you indeed very much for this very, very interesting uh, conversation about conflict dynamics in South Sudan, Uganda, and the, the wider region. Thank you very much. Subscribe to our podcast or visit the website insideconflict.com. For more information about the work of the ASPR, visit aspr.ac.at. Until next time.